Welcome to the Weekly Words of Worship podcast. My name is Daniel Innocent. I'm a youth pastor with the Ontario Seventh-day Adventist Conference. And currently, I'm enrolled in Andrews University where I'm getting my master's degree in divinity. I invite you to join me in reading, studying, and meditating on God's word. This study is not prepared beforehand, which allows you to be a participant in the studying process. This will teach you how to study the Bible for yourself, which is the greatest gift that I can give you. Once we begin a book, we read it to the very end. No skipping verses, no reading out of context. Now, sit back in a prayerful state and let's enjoy the day's reading together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us here and for this moment that we get to spend with one another in your word. We ask, Lord, that you would make your word clear to us, that you would speak to us, that we would learn from it and that we would apply it in our lives. Um, Lord, um, we know how tricky life can be, and we thank you that you did give us the Bible to give us some direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome back, friends. I invite you to open your Bibles with me as we continue our reading in the book of John. Uh, The Bible says, uh, we'll start back at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. Remember we spoke about um, taking yourself off of the pedestal, not allowing people to uh, puff up your head. You know, it's interesting. I have a group Bible study that meets uh, Monday to Friday at 8 a.m. Eastern. And uh, right now we're reading through 1 Samuel. And we kind of, I I spoke about this yesterday, but it's so interesting to see the parallels um, between this concept of not allowing people to put you on a pedestal and how that, you know, really uh, came to play in King Saul's life and how that was ultimately his demise. Because of a principle, Right. The Bible says that God is gracious to the humble, but that the Lord resists the proud, that God resists the proud. Right. That uh, a haughty look comes before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. God doesn't like when we're prideful and boastful. That's not what he likes. And so we have to be very careful about allowing people to boost and to, to, to swell our heads up, right? And especially as spiritual leaders, that we're not trying to make disciples for ourselves and we remember our role to make disciples for Christ. So when they're asking him, who are you, is because of everything that he's accomplished, right? He confessed and did not deny, but confess, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. He's trying to tell them, listen, um, I know that you guys want me to be all these things, but I am who God has made me to be. I am not the things 
that you guys want me to be. You follow? And listen to what he says, right? And uh, verse 23, we're not going to skip verse 22, though, but um, it's just so, it's so powerful. So let's go. Verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? What is it that he says? He said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. Okay. What is John's mission? What is this saying? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Well, what is he crying about? Right? And I'm not saying that in a rude way, but I'm we're trying to, to break down the, the text, right? So we have to ask ourselves the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what he's crying about is he's saying, make straight the way of the Lord. And he is the one. It's, this, is, this kind of makes me think of, you know, when um, when you have like a, a band or whatever, not even a band, a parade. And you see how at the very front of the parade, how you have the musicians that will have like the trumpets. Mind you, I've literally never been to a parade, but I've kind of seen them on TV. So I'm hoping that this makes sense. <laughs> But in my mind, right, the the, the trumpets and the, and the stuff that they would come first, right? And the music is supposed to let you know that the parade is coming, right? It's supposed to announce when people hear it, everybody is the cue. People get quiet. They turn around. They pay attention. They look, right? Um, John is preparing the way for Jesus. John's mission is to prepare the way for Jesus and is to declare the coming of Jesus, right? He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness for anybody to hear, right? But this idea of crying in the wilderness almost makes it sound like it's falling on deaf ears a, a bit, doesn't it? You know, if you're, it's kind of like that, uh, I remember somebody gave me a riddle once don't ask me what the what the answer is but you've probably heard it about you know if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around is anybody here and you're like what what is that even supposed to mean and additionally what is that even supposed to do with what we're talking about <laughs> right but john's purpose is to go in front of jesus to go before jesus and to prepare the way for Jesus to come. The Bible tells us that John comes preaching repentance, right? And and, uh, and baptism, right? So as people are hearing John, as, as John is testifying of Jesus, and remember, the Bible says in uh, verse seven, that this man came for a witness, and this is speaking about John, that this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. So John's purpose is to testify about the light, to testify about Jesus, so that all through Jesus, all through uh, John might believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? 
He's trying to get people to believe in Jesus and he's going forward with that. And to him, that is the fullness of who he is, right? I know it's, it can be confusing when they ask him, are you a prophet? And he says, no, because it's like, John, John, you're not a prophet. I could have sworn you were a prophet, right? Didn't you prophesy to King Herod? Didn't you tell him that what he was doing was wrong? Right? Aren't you prophesying when you're saying, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world? Hmm? The answer is, what John is saying is that his entire purpose of who he is is in verse 23. If you want to have a full understanding of exactly who he is and exactly what he represents and exactly what his function and his role is, his function and his role is the voice of one crying in the wilderness for anybody to hear, for anybody that is able to hear to come to Christ, to be able to accept Christ. That's what his role is and to prepare the way for Christ and what Jesus is going to do in his ministry. As the prophet Isaiah said, verse 24, now those who were sent were from, were from the Pharisees and they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So what gives you the right to be doing all these baptisms then, John? John is doing a lot of work, right? John is witnessing. And when you witness, people get baptized. And remember, the witness, what is the witness? And I have to give these, these for those of you who have followed up to this point, trust me, everything builds off of everything, right? But what is a witness? A witness is somebody who has personally seen something and is willing to testify to what they saw. But you can't be somebody who only heard about it through hearsay. You had to have seen it for yourself. So when the Bible says that John comes to bear a witness to the light, it's because Jesus has already been the light for John and so now John can witness to that light to others. And that's all it takes for you to be a witness. And then when John witnesses the light that was able to help him in his darkness to you, now you can use that same light who is Jesus Christ to help you with your darkness. And then you can, tell, uh, you can testify to somebody else about Jesus who is the light, who broke and who shone who shined in your darkness, and then they can choose Jesus to be the light that will break their darkness, and so on and so forth. That's the way that the whole system is supposed to work, right? And when you are doing that, when you are witnessing, when you are testifying, when you are telling people the way that God impacted you, that's what testifying is. What has God done for me? Testifying isn't just going to somebody and giving them a glow track. And for those of you who don't know what a glow track is, it's uh, it's one of those, you know, little uh, little leaflets or pamphlets, like even smaller than a pamphlet. And it has like 
really nice messages on them. And they're great. Don't get me wrong. And if you like to leave glow tracks and stuff like that, that's amazing. One day I might make some, some, uh, my own version of, of, of glow tracks, right? So I don't have anything against it, but remember your witness is your testimony. How has God helped you? It is so important for you to share your witness because it's that witness that allows, it's, it's that witness that has the power in it. And when people are able to see the way that God has affected you, God becomes real to them. And when God becomes real to them because you are real to them, then even the stories in the Bible will become real to them. We're following. So they say, so then, you know, the Pharisees and, you know, the people who are questioning John, they're like, okay, so you say that you're not the Christ. And remember, the, the only reason why they think all these things about John is because everything that he's already doing, right? So everybody thinks this must be the Christ. Look at everything that he's doing, right? But John denies, he says, I'm not the Christ. They say, okay. Um, maybe he's Elijah because, you know, Elijah is also, uh, extremely powerful. And, and if you read the story of Elijah in the Bible, you know, in terms of being a prophet and, you know, having working miracles and stuff like that, Elijah is like second to none. Second, as a matter of fact, he's second to Jesus. You know what I mean? In terms of, uh, at least in my opinion. Right, Elijah, I remember I read one story, you know, when uh, Elijah was going to be taken up from Jesus and um, by Jesus in the, in, in the chariots to go to heaven. And remember, Elisha was was following him, you know, that he took his staff and I think it said, I think the Bible said that he wrapped his shirt around his staff or something, slapped the water, the water split. Like, what? And this is just to take a, a regular walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Elijah's different, right? And that's why they're like, okay, you're not the Christ. Okay, so then are you Elijah? He says, no. I say, okay. So then you must be a prophet at the very least. You have to be a prophet. He says, no. They're like, okay, so then if you're not a prophet, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, then how are you baptizing people, right? How? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Okay. So he's saying, John is saying, listen, I baptize with water, right? My, uh, my function is very simple. And as much as you guys might think and, and, and might have this impression of a, of a grandiose idea of who I am, believe me, there's one who's coming after me that I can't even stand in his shadow. You think that I must be the Christ because of the types of works that I'm doing. And he's saying to them, you guys have no idea who is, who is among you? You have no idea that Jesus is in the Remember, it's only after Jesus' baptism that he begins his ministry, right? 
that three year, um, and I shouldn't say it's only after because we know that obviously Jesus was still witnessing. We saw from the time Jesus is 12, he's witnessing in, in the tabernacle. But the main part of his ministry is during that three year period after his baptism and, um, you know, which is culminated at his uh, crucifixion, right? And so as much as, uh, you know, John is, is supposed to be the one who to make the way for Jesus. So they are getting used to seeing uh, John do all these miracles. People are giving their hearts to the Lord. People are deciding to change their lives. People are deciding to be baptized. People are deciding to repent, right? And it all comes because the testimony came first. The testimony came first right? The Bible says that we would overcome the dragon in the book of Revelation. The Bible tells us that we will overcome the dragon by the word of the lamb, by the, um, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Okay. So first and foremost, it's the, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us. But the next thing that causes us to overcome the dragon is the words of our testimony. We have to share what God has done for us. And this is why we can't be Christians if we only have a relation to Christ through the people that we know, but we don't have a personal relationship with Christ. If we can't say what God has done for us, then we need to pray that God would open our eyes. Because believe me, it's not that God hasn't done anything for you yet. It's just that the things that God is doing for you, you don't see and recognize that it's his hand that's doing it for you, right? It's interesting. So many people think that the successes that they've made, the car that they have, and everything that they have is because of their own hard work, and it's because of their own effort, and it's because of their own genius, and it's because of their own skill, it's because of their own this and their own that, and it's all about, wow, wow, I'm so special, I'm so great, and they don't take time to acknowledge the ways that God blessed them to be able to be in the position that they're in, Right? Because God could take just one quick little thing away from you and your entire situation could be completely different. So anyways, before I go too far on, this, on a tangent, John explains that as much as you think that I'm a big deal, Jesus is a bigger deal. And this is what every single man and woman of God ought to do. This should be our attitude. When people try to put us on a pedestal, we remind them that the only pedestal that exists is a pedestal that Jesus stands on. The rest of us are on common ground. We are brothers and sisters. We are walking together. I am not above you. You are not above me. You are my sister. You are my brother. We walk hand in hand. I might be able to teach you, but guess what? Very soon you'll be able to teach me, and, and many of you might already be able to teach me. And, 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 well, not even might. We can all teach each other. I genuinely believe that you can even learn from little children. You know, um, I remember. I remember I was a I was a Sabbath school teacher when I was maybe like what? How old was I? Seventeen, sixteen, fifteen. Um, and this was for the uh, what class was it? I think it was the early teen class. So like the uh, twelve years or. Or is it preteens? I think it was the preteens, like 12 years olds and 12 year olds and from 10 year old to 12 year olds, I think it was. And anyways, I remember, 
you know, communicating to my class that I want you, that it's okay for you to disagree. It's okay for you to voice, um, to voice that you see the text a different way, right? It's not always going to be me who's right. And I remember there was one day we were talking about the uh, fruits of the spirit. And one of the fruits of the spirit is kindness, right? Love, joy, peace, uh, long suffering, gentleness, right? One of them is kindness. And I remember I said in the class, I said that for me, I can't see how somebody can be a Christian and be unkind. I said, I just can't see that, right? And there's a, a, a girl named Jasmine. I haven't seen this girl in so long. You're one of the students. And she said that she disagrees. And I said, okay, Jasmine, well, why do you disagree? And she said, well, what if God gave that person the fruit of the spirit of long suffering and maybe the fruit of kindness is still growing in them? Because all these fruits, when you accept, uh, when you accept Jesus into your, into your heart, um, he starts to produce lovingness in you. And these are all different components of lovingness, right? And she said, what if that person received long suffering and the kindness portion is still building or is still growing. She said, just because a person doesn't have the same fruits or the same gifts as you doesn't mean that they're not accepted by God. And I told her, Jasmine, you are absolutely right. Right. And so the point of this is, uh, you know, the point of this tangent was pretty much just to say that we need to be able to uh, come to a discernment for ourselves. We need to be able to study the Bible for ourselves and to understand for ourselves and um, never to put ourselves on a pedestal, especially as teachers and as leaders, where it's like we can't be questioned. We can't be, uh, you know, we the buck, the, the buck stops with us. Anything the pastor says goes with the pastor. No, come on now. We're brothers and sisters in this thing. We are brothers and sisters in this thing, right? We need to help each other. So John answered them saying, verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in, in Beth Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I'm just gonna look up the word Bethabara here really quickly. One of the things that I like to do um, when studying the Bible is uh, to look up the names of places and people, right? Bethabara. And uh, the reason why is uh, because the, you know, the names in Hebrew are not like names in, in English, right? The name, your name in Hebrew is an actual, like, is an actual word or is an actual sentence. For instance, Daniel is comprised, is like a, it, it pretty much just means God is my judge, right? Not pretty much, it means God is my judge. Dan is judge, E for Dan E, like so the I is my, L is God. Daniel, God is my judge, right? And so for the Hebrews, you know, 
literally they're saying that sentence every time they're saying your name. It's, you know, so it's God is my judge. You want to go play basketball? God is my judge. Are you going to church? Uh, you know, tomorrow, God is my judge. Are you hungry? God is my judge. Stop doing that. God is my judge. Good job. Right. That's the way it is. And so it would be a constant reminder. But it's also uh, the reason why looking up names is also important because uh, names also have significance for symbolism a lot of the times. Not every single time, but a lot of the times they have uh, significance in terms of uh, symbolism. So God will allow something to happen in a particular place, um, in a particular place because of the name, and the name is supposed to indicate or symbolize uh, something of, of what's going on, right? So for instance, uh, so Beth, Beth Barra, what does it mean? It means uh, to a Hebrew audience, this is taken from abarimpublications.com, uh, probably my favorite uh, place to go for my Bible trans, uh, for my, uh, <clears throat> you know, looking up Hebrew words and stuff like that. So Beth Bara, to a Hebrew audience, the name Beth Bara would have meant something like house of cleanness or house of food or even house of covenant making. Still, for meaning of the name Beth Bara, both Nope's study Bible name list and Jones Dictionary of Old Testament proper, na proper names read place of the ford. Okay, so it, it tells us that there's a lot of different things that it could mean. And because there's so many things that it could mean, I'm going to kind of stay away uh, from this one and from tying stuff to this one because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, incorrectly insert an idea where it doesn't belong. And this happens sometimes. Sometimes you know you're they're, they're just going a place is mentioned and it's not significant uh, for why it had to be that place or that particular name. So anyways, we continue. Uh, verse 29. Matter of fact, how much time do we have left here? Okay. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. It looks like we're going to have to stop here because verse 29 is a whole mouthful. And uh, we'll be able to continue with that tomorrow. If you've listened all the way up to this point, I want to thank you for making it this far. And I have a special blessing and a prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we were able to spend together. And I ask for a special blessing, Lord, for those who have been tuning in regularly to um, study your word and to learn from you and to grow with you. Lord, and I ask that you would help them and that you would help me in uh, being faithful and being um, diligent and in continuing and in, uh, continuing to have the desire to grow with you and to get closer to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the things that we've learned today uh, and for this reminder of uh, remaining humble and of always pointing people back to you, um, not uh, seeking the acclamation for ourselves but to point them towards you because you're the one who's deserve, deserving of the praise and the honor and the glory because you're the one who accomplished everything. Again, Lord, we thank you. We magnify you and we praise you because you're worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. 
God willing, I'll see you tomorrow.